Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Prospects After Dark. I am your host. I am Kyle Reese. Uh, welcome to the extravaganza. Look, uh, we're in kind of a weird time to be doing Prospects After Dark. I don't exactly know what uh, what tonight's episode is going to look like or what the topic of conversation is going to be. Uh, but either way, I am happy to be here with everyone uh, on a Sunday night celebrating Memorial Day. Uh, again. I'm, I guess what I'm in the mode for is I'm in draft prep mode. Hey, Matt Thompson, speaking of draft prep mode, a happy birthday to your husband from Iowa. Like, yeah, uh, so I guess the two things, first and foremost, happy birthday to Bartolo Colon, uh, my Latin lover, uh, to Bartolo Colon on his 47th or maybe 470th birthday. We raise our glass of four roses. Mm. Real fast, again, hello to my friend Matt Thompson, who writes for Prospects Live. Uh, they're about ready to get super fired up in their draft coverage, and I can't wait for it. I, I say they're getting ready. They've been super fired up in amazing draft coverage now for a little bit. Uh, but check out Prospects Live. Look, we are a little over two weeks away from the major, or I guess a little under two weeks away. I don't know. What is today's date? Uh, hey, Heckroth, what's up? Uh, happy birthday to your husband, my guy. Hello, Josh. How are you? Oh, so here's good stuff. Matt Thompson, our good friend over at Prospects Live, says that the Prospects Live Draft 100 comes out on Tuesday. I can't wait for that. Uh, I was fortunate enough to take part in the event that they put together where they had one representative from uh, one person represent each team and do a little draft. It was awesome. It was some of the most fun I've had uh, through this platform, uh, and I felt lucky to take part in it. Uh, but I'm excited about the draft. The Cardinals have uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven picks in five, dra- in five rounds, uh, and no telling how many players they'll sign after that. Could be two, could be four, could be eight, could be a million and a half, could be no one. Uh, the draft is different, and as sad as I am that I'm, there, it's only going to be seven players and five rounds for the Cardinals, I'm anxious to see what it looks like just to experience something new and different. Uh, let's see. Fish, hey, what's up, Fish? How are you? Uh, Jay Dizzy says, how about them Cardinals? Yeah, another uh, another undefeated week for the Cardinals. They can't be, uh, they can't be stopped uh, in the 2020 season. Really, I'm sure everyone else is feeling it too, but... I feel like this week in particular hit me a little bit harder with how much I miss baseball. And I'm sure we're all dealing with that. But I guess, you know, with this being the first holiday that we've experienced uh, since baseball hasn't been a part of our daily lives, it's hitting a little harder, at least for me in particular. Uh, no, Matt, you guys keep doing that stuff. Chi-Town Cards, who I know is all in on draft prep and draft coverage, uh, says, emotionally preparing myself for the disappointment of drafting Tanner Burns at 21. You know, I... Uh, I'm not the type that thinks that the Cardinals are going to draft Tanner Burns at 21. I have faith in Randy Flores that I don't know if necessarily a lot of other Cardinal fans have. I believe wholeheartedly that Randy Flores will draft the best available player. He will draft the guy that falls to them, and somebody will fall to them. He's not going to do that like taking the easy way out in the first round. He has yet to do that. He did it in the 2017 draft with a third-round pick. Because they didn't have three picks. They had to forfeit their first three picks. Uh, this is not your mother's uh, St. Louis Cardinals draft. Uh, Randy Flores does it a little bit differently. Uh, they're not afraid to take risks. They're not afraid to, uh, to jump on opportunities. Uh, and that makes me happy. That makes me excited about the draft. Again, I, I don't think that this is the case where they're just going to draft whichever uh, college pitcher is the most likely to be there. You know, that's a Dan Kantrovitz thing. Uh, uh, that's not a Randy Flores thing. Look for that to happen with the Cubs. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens there. Uh, T, JT Frisch says, why don't you think the MLB teams make draft trades as much as the other sports? 
Well, JT Frisch, uh, the reason is because Major League Baseball is only allowed to trade their, competi- their competitive balance picks. Uh, those are the sandwich picks between rounds one and two and two and three. Uh, and only like 15 teams get those picks. Uh, and those are the only trades in Major League Baseball that are allowed to be made when it comes to trading draft picks. So that's why. Now, the question that you piggyback off of that is, in the near future, will there be a time when Major League teams can trade their draft picks? Uh, I, I don't know. I think consolidating and condensing the draft is the first step into major draft changes, and I would suspect that that becomes one. Maybe in due time, teams will be able to trade uh, the players, uh, the compensation picks, the, uh, the qualifying offer compensation picks. Maybe that's the next step. Maybe teams aren't allowed to trade their first-round pick, but they can trade rounds two through five in a 20-round draft or something like that. Uh, so that's why you don't see it as often. And it might be something that uh, come the collective bargaining agreement after the 2021 season, it might be something we see a lot of. Uh, but, again, we're just going to have to wait and see. Uh, Matt Thompson says, Pete Crow Armstrong getting some buzz for cards at 21. Again, Pete Crow Armstrong fits that mold of the guy that falls to the St. Louis Cardinals at 21. Whether it's – and I know that there's a lot of buzz about Ed Howard or Garrett Mitchell in Arizona. Uh, uh, we're going to have to see how that all plays out. But whether it be Ed Howard or Garrett Mitchell, neither of them should be there at 21. But if either of them fall to 21, that's the play. Uh, Pete Crow Armstrong should be a top 20 pick. But if he falls to 21, I could see that. Uh they're not going to rest on their laurels. Like, they're not just going to take Tanner Burns unless he's the best available player, unless there's been a run on every other player. I firmly believe that. I, I, I will stand by that until the day I die. Like, it's not going to be, they're not going to take Nick Lofton with the, the 21st pick. There's no way. You know, uh, that makes me happy. That's exciting. Look, even last year with Zach Thompson, the Cardinals take Zach Thompson, who has serious injury risk, even though he's a big time lefty from a college, big time college program not big time but a good college program and a, and a big time conference uh they're they're not screwing around they don't just take the easy way out that that's the draft of bygone eras uh luckily uh, of course with that becomes a little bit more risk you know nolan gorman had a great 2018 season a little rocky 2019 season and you're still kind of waiting to see what his bat's going to develop into you know with zach thompson there's always going to be the question in the back of your head you know is the injury are the injuries going to pop up with uh, 2016's first over first pick, uh, Delvin Delvin Perez, like, uh, is he going to be able to put on weight? Is he going to be able to tap into some of that power? You know, uh, will it all come together without the HGH usage? Uh, there's the questions that come with it, but it's the right philosophy to take to draft the guy who falls to you when you're drafting in the back half of the first round. I love it. I love that the Cardinals do it, and I think they should continue to do it. Uh, Adam Heckross says, uh, uh, what are your thoughts on Tudor Her and Bill White getting into the Cardinals Hall of Fame? So other than Ray Langford, I'm not one to get really excited or up in arms about what happens in a Hall of Fame. Remember, the Hall of Fame just ends up being a popularity contest, especially the Cardinals Hall of Fame, where fans are voting uh, and whichever writers want to elect players for the fans to vote. Um, I, I don't like I didn't watch Tommy Her. I didn't watch uh, Tudor. I didn't watch Bill White growing up. They were all older than I am. And my fandom uh, extends beyond uh, so uh, I, I really don't have much to say other than everyone who watched them play thinks that they all deserve it. You know, Bill White's one of those guys that as a Cardinal fan, I know nothing about. And when you go and you research, you say, wow, that was a special, special player. So uh, of the three, two to her, great Cardinals, I get it. But Bill White is something special. And I, like, I like that the Cardinals are going to honor someone like Bill White, who my generation, I'm 34 years old, my generation might not uh, know might get a chance to learn about. So, uh, yeah, to all the members that have been elected to the St. Louis Cardinals Hall of Fame over the weekend, Tommy Herr, uh, John Tudor, and Bill White, I raise my glass.
Hello, Victoria. How are you? Uh, uh, Kyle, forgot Pat was tonight, but with everything going on, I welcome the distraction. I will do everything I can to distract you this evening in a fine and professional manner. Uh, you know, I wouldn't expect that much of a, a, a large turnout tonight. It's kind of a weird Sunday night. Uh, everybody's down in the Ozarks spreading STDs and coronavirus and probably creating a whole new virus altogether that is both sexy and deadly. Uh, Chi-Town Cards says, PCA's lack of power concerns me. So the thing about Pete Crow Armstrong is he's probably not ever going to hit for power. Um, everything else is pretty well developed. Like, he has a really solid hit tool. He's a true center fielder with a great arm for a center fielder and great range and advanced speed and an advanced baseball IQ. Uh, he's a competitor who plays at his best in, in against better competition. Uh, you know, I don't think – if things get weird, he might end up hitting 20 home runs at some point. But he's a true – like, he's – for a prep guy to feel like he's going to make the major leagues for sure, that's a positive. You know, you're probably talking about a 10 or 15 home run guy uh, when he maxes out. You know, he seems like the, he doesn't really have the frame that you see that you think, oh, that guy's going to be able to hold weight. Uh, it doesn't mean he can't put on an athletic amount of weight. But, yeah, look, I, I understand the concern uh, about power from Pete Crow Armstrong. But what I know about Pete Crow Armstrong is he has a swing uh, and a barrel ability that might uh, let him, might allow him to access power that he might not otherwise have present in his game with just the slight frame. And that makes me feel good. I think that there's more power in his swing, not necessarily in his frame. Uh, and that's what you want out of somebody of, of that size. Heck Ross says, follow up. What about Keith Hernandez not getting in? You know, Keith Hernandez is another interesting one for me because, again, they predate me. Keith Hernandez was one of those guys that it wasn't until Rusty Grapple, uh, when he was writing for the Redbird Daily, put together that amazing algorithm that put together the list of the top 100 Cardinal players of all time that I looked and I was like, oh, wait, Keith Hernandez didn't spend his entire career with the Mets, but just a small portion with the Cardinals. And I think my generation in particular, that's kind of how we view Keith Hernandez. You know, uh, I think that he's hurt by the fact that the Whitey's era fans don't like still don't like him because of the, the rift between the Cardinals organization and him uh, because he went to the Mets. Uh, and I think that all that works works against him. You know, uh, my, my buddy Corey Rudd on Twitter uh, yesterday posted a very, very simple hot take. And the hot take was that the Cardinals Hall of Fame is already diluted. And I agree with, with Corey Rudd. I don't get why they're electing three people every year. Uh, you're talking about a team Hall of Fame. You're not talking about a baseball Hall of Fame. I'd like to see them dumb that thing down to one person and then maybe, maybe two, uh, one that gets voted on and one that gets elected in. Uh, it was like a veterans committee kind of – like, that's what I like to see. I don't think – like – I like Tudor. I like her. They both had great careers as Cardinals. I don't know if they necessarily both deserve to get in this early. I don't know if Keith Hernandez deserves to get in this early. I think Ray Langford did. I don't think Vince Kuhlman did. Uh, but I think it's already watered down and diluted. And I, I think that they'll get in in time. But the problem is, eventually, you're going to be, like, electing guys like Edgar Renteria in. And, I mean, Jason Isringhausen was a great closer. He has a bunch of saves for the St. Louis Cardinals. But that guy's not a Cardinal Hall of Famer. Like, that's boring. That's pedestrian. Like, that doesn't get anyone excited. Again, a, a great player, but Cardinal Hall of Famer, like, you can sit on that. I've got nothing for that. Uh, JT Frisch, with the draft only being five rounds, you think there will be more attention paid to the draft uh, than other years? Yeah, absolutely, JT Frisch. Uh, not only because it's five rounds, but more specifically because there's nothing going on in baseball. Uh, you know, we're, we're it's going to be June 10th and June 11th. Uh, we're just a couple weeks away from it happening. It's going to be primetime, uh, and it's going to end up drawing more eyes just because there's nothing else to watch. Like, look, if a year ago the Phil Mickelson, Tiger Woods, Peyton Manning, and Tom Brady thing was on, I wouldn't have watched a minute of it. I, I just wouldn't have cared. 
but there's nothing else going on, and I watched all of it. Tonight when I go to bed, I'm going to watch The Last Dance. I haven't watched any of it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it on that YouTube TV and get after it. Like, uh, the, the sporting world's changed because of all this. And the other thing about the Major League Baseball draft is, depending on how negotiations go between the MLBPA and the owners, uh, this could be the only baseball activity we have this year. Uh, and I'm not one of these people who says, oh, I'm never going to watch baseball again if they don't play. I'm always going to watch baseball because I'm a prisoner to my the thing that I love, and I love baseball. Uh, I'm not going to pretend to be emotionally reactive and swear off the sport. Uh, and there's a chance that the Major League Baseball draft is the only baseball-related activity that could happen this year, uh, you know, other than spring training from when spring training went on. And that makes me want to watch it. I think a lot of eyes are going to be on it, and I think it's super interesting. I also think that we're going to have our most informed uh, group of fan bases entering the draft because of the amount of draft work that's being done uh, by so many wonderful and informed people. Uh, Iowa next, did you see the proposal for a new college baseball season? If so, do you like it? So I saw that there was a new proposal, and I did not read it. Um, at baseball America, I know that they did a great write-up of it, and I know that they also proposed like a 44-game major league season. I didn't read about either of those. Uh, again, I've been trying so hard to dig into uh, the draft prospects that I haven't necessarily had enough time to, to follow things. My, the Where I'm at right now is uh, because of how much speculation is being thrown around about the state of baseball after coronavirus or during coronavirus. Uh, I'm at the point where until I see that something is official, I am intentionally not listening or reading. Now, I, I promise you that I will, I will do what I can to read that. I should have read it when I saw the NCAA proposal. That's a little different than Major League Baseball. So, uh, you know, that's what we're hoping for. Uh, Iowa Neck, can you break down the KBO season so far? Iowa Neck, I cannot, man. I, I am so sorry. I've, uh, you know, I was watching some of it uh, when I was so. I work from seven to three thirty nearly every day. Uh, I get to work about six o'clock and kind of mingle around, mess around. Um, and I was watching it while sitting in my car from like six to six thirty uh, on my phone, uh, and it was fun to watch. But I don't know anything about it other than that it was just fun to watch. And you know. As someone who analyzes every second of every baseball game they watch, who watches three baseball games a night, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of fun to just watch baseball. And that's what's happening with the KBO, so that's great. Uh, Ryan, my friend from Comet, says, Kyle, yay, Pat is great behind a uh, uh, great mid-holiday treat. Thank you, Ryan. Ryan, it's always a pleasure to see you at Comet. Uh, I'll raise my glass of Four Rosens bourbon to you, sir. It was a pleasure sharing a cup of coffee with you the other day. Um, uh, JT Vonderhaar says, what people on the current roster do you think will be the Cardinals Hall of Famers someday? Uh, Yachty, Matt Carpenter, Adam Wainwright, maybe Jordan Hicks, maybe Jack Flaherty. We'll have to wait and see how their careers continue to progress. Uh, I think Colton Wong, if he continues on the trajectory that is 2019 set, 2019 season set, I think he could be one. Uh, maybe Paul DeYoung, but he's got to find some more consistency in his game. But I think that the easy answers are Matt Carpenter, Adam Wainwright, and Yadier Molina with a couple guys who are kind of on the fringes of it or at the early stages of being close to it. Remember, you know, Colton Wong's been a Cardinal for like 50 years now already. It's crazy to think, but uh, I would suggest that maybe he's the guy who would be on the cusp of that. And if Jordan Hicks comes back healthy and can be the dominant closer, then if Jason Isringhausen is in, then Jordan Hicks should be in too. Uh, that's just my thought. You know, uh, uh, my hope is that others others will, uh, but th th I think that's where I'm at right now. Chi-Town Card says, who would you take if you were Detroit? Oh, Torkelson, Spencer Torkelson, easy. Uh, I wouldn't have a thought about it. Now, I will say I like I like Lacey. Uh, I like Mayer. I, I, to a lesser degree, I like Emerson Hancock. I like Zach Veen. I like Robert Hassel. Uh, I like Gonzalez. 
Um, but uh, for me, I'm taking Torkelson unless I can get like a $3 million discount on, uh, on Asa Lacey. Uh, and that's the only way that I, 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 I go off of Torkelson. I, I'm not doing that for Austin Martin. I'm not doing it for Veen. I'm not doing it for Gonzalez. I'm definitely not doing it for Hancock. Uh, but it's got to be Spencer Torkelson. Like, the only way you don't draft Spencer Torkelson is if somehow he wants overslot for the first overall pick. And if uh, uh, his meds – well, so that's the other thing is there aren't, like, pre-draft meds here, I don't think. It'll be when they're drafted, they'll have to be um, – uh, uh, they'll go through the physical process. So uh, you won't have any of those, like, uh, uh, oh, there's red flags in his in – his, uh, um, whatever the hell it's called. I can't think. Uh, uh, anyways, so, yeah, it's Spencer Torkelson. It's not even close, really. Uh, Spencer Tor- Torkelson's probably – the best all-around player uh, uh, from, like, a major league contribution standpoint in this draft. He's more athletic than he's given credit for, too. He's definitely going to stick at first. Sean Sandefer, Sean Sandeffer says, Seems like MLB players don't do enough to advocate for MILB players, bringing the latter up after them. Yeah, that's something that's been a major complaint of mine. Uh, I know Tara Wellman's talked about it before. Uh, I know minor leaguers are scared to talk about it. I know major league players generally don't want to talk about it. Uh, you know, you have you have beacons of light like Adam Wainwright, who's very, very open and forward about saying minor leaguers need to get paid more, who donate to um, nonprofits that work to advocate for minor league uh, pay and success. Um, there are a handful, but you're right. Uh, and I think that that's part of like the, the nature or environment that kind of breeds itself in Major League Baseball, something that like, uh, you know, I've talked candidly with players off the record before, and they all kind of say that you know, in a very, very roundabout way that they don't want to bring it up because they don't want to hurt their chances of making a major league debut. And there are players who honestly believe, and I would suggest a good deal of players that honestly believe that if they talk about it, whether at the major league level or the minor league level, uh, they're going to get blackballed. And, you know, I, I think I think it's a little, uh, maybe a little aggressive to think that. I think it's a little conspiracy theorist to live that life. But what we know about the owners is that they'll blackball anybody whenever they get a chance. And they'll also try to vilify every one of their, uh, the people on the opposite side of the conversation of them. So uh, I don't blame the players for being that way and protecting themselves. Uh, and it's kind of a shame, like you said, that you don't have major league players advocating so loudly for minor league players. I think that there's a, you know, the thing about major league players also advocating for minor league players is it's such a grind at the minor league. You make it to the majors and you have 200 guys behind you trying to win your spot uh, and, and you're fighting and you're clawing. And, you know, I, I think that part of the human experience, unfortunately, is that the majority of humanity says, I went through this, they should go through it. Uh, especially when it comes to something as competitive as a major league baseball spot, uh, trying to hold on to their lives. Uh, Josh says, Brebbia, future cards hall of famer. I hope so. You know, I would love that. I would love for John Brebbia to be around for another eight years close out some games. Uh, his He would be great because of the beard. You know, you do like a, a Chia Pet beard plaque in the Cardinals Hall of Fame where you water it, uh, and at the beginning of the season, it's completely, you know, uh, uh, copper. And then uh, you, you water it, and by the end of the year, it's all grown out and red and wonderful. I love that. I, you know, I'm always rooting for John Burby. I love that guy. Quinn says, Ron Helvelo getting in easy. Oh, yeah. I would think uh, 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 Drew Robinson Cardinals go ahead and reacquire him, put Drew Robinson in the Cardinals Hall of Fame, uh, Ron Hell Ravello, Greg Garcia, Daniel Descalso, not current Cardinals, but Cardinals who I think would have a clear shot to the Cardinals Hall of Fame. 
uh, Stubby Clap, Bo Hart, Craig Paquette, all those guys. Put them all in as one person. Uh, Chi-Town Cards, do Lacey's mechanics scare you at all? Look, pitching mechanics scare me, period. I, I, I don't know. You know, I've watched, I, I've watched like someone like Austin Gomber for all these years where the Cardinals have tried to toy and streamline his mechanics, but he only has like, he has the most success when he's just pitching from what he knows. Uh, I think that if there's a person throwing with the mechanics that they've been throwing with, I think that that puts them at a better position than constantly toying and adjusting their mechanics. Uh, honestly, like, you see somebody like Kate Cavalli who throws nice and easy. Uh, there isn't a whole lot of wasted motion in his, in his mechanics. And, yeah, you want every pitcher to throw like that, but that's his mechanics. You know, that's Lacey's mechanics. You know, what I like about Lacey is there isn't a violent arm delivery. Like, he's not – it's not like Alvaro Sejas, where Sejas is reaching back and throwing the baseball and whipping it, and it's violent. Like, you know, Lacey and Jared Schuster, uh, uh, Jared Schuster, who is the lefty for Wake Forest, uh, both of them have a similar pitching mechanic. And, like, I'm fine with it. You know, Austin Gomber is kind of a, again, has kind of a funky pitching mechanic. He's at his best when he's just letting it out. He's healthiest, too, when he's just letting it out. When they're trying to screw with people's mechanics, that's when it becomes a concern. You know, Emerson Hancock has a nice smooth motion. His posture is a little weird, but uh, I'm not, not worried about it. I'm not worried about it. What I know is pitchers are doomed. All of them are. Uh, so what you do is you find the one that is better than the rest of them, and you get them to the major leagues as quickly as his development allows. And I don't know if there's an – you can argue that there's a better pitcher in this draft than Asa Lacey. I know that there's the, the Hancock homers, and I get it. Uh, that that uh, arm side run and fade on his two-seamer is a thing of beauty. He mixes it in with other pitches, uh, repeats his delivery. Like, I get it. But what Lacey can do to get swings and misses created by both the, the amount of stuff he has, uh, the deception he creates, uh, and, uh, like, the whole package, that's the guy I'm drafting if I'm decided I'm going to draft a pitcher. And I'll be honest with you, I'd probably pick Mayor, Myers, Max Myers, before I take Emerson Hancock. That's just me. Uh, if baseball comes back, do you see some guys saying, I'm not playing? This is a great question uh, from Ionek Derek. Yeah, I absolutely do. Um, I don't know how many it's going to be or who's it going to be. Um, I do think that there's going to be immense pressure, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if something like that happens. I wouldn't be surprised if, as part of the agreement, Major League Baseball and Major League Baseball Players Association uh, comes to some kind of agreement that, like, if you don't feel comfortable playing, this is the rate of pay you get. Uh, and, you know, it'd be like $5,000 a week or whatever it's been for the last whatever. Uh, something like that. And that benefits the owners, too, because... You know, then you might not be paying Mike Trout $26 million, a prorated 26 mil. Uh, you might be paying somebody to replace him uh, a prorated 650000 or something like that. Uh, that could benefit and protect the owners as well. Uh, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if there's at least one person who does that. Uh, I guess then again, it all depends on what kind of financing the players are going to get. Because the more money that they're being offered, the more of their contracts that they're getting, the more likely they are going to be to come back. And also... With, uh, with the players being on the, the one high horse that the players have been on on this, and they deserve to be on this, this is the right choice for them, uh, uh, was player safety during all this. Like, how to make, if, if they agree to these safety measures that are pretty extensive for Major League Baseball, and I'm sure that there'll be agreements there, uh, but if they agree to those safety measures, then uh, for a couple of them to still bow out would be a really interesting thing, and I'd love to see how that all turns out. Uh, JT Frisch, how much impact do you think certain rules implemented this year, if a season happens, will affect? So I think what, uh, what JT Frisch is trying to say is 
some of these rules that might be implemented this year, will they have lasting implications in baseball? And, you know, I think from a safety standpoint, I think you're probably going to see a hand sanitizer in the dugout forever and in the bullpen forever. I think you're going to see more intense cleaning measures. Uh, I would imagine that the social distancing rules ease if they find a, 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 um, a vaccine for coronavirus. I would imagine some of that stuff uh, ends up calming down and loosening up a little bit. Uh, but other than that, like, uh, my major concern is that what we've gone through is going to prevent people from going to the stadium. Uh, I think that's like the major long-term uh, effect that this could have. But uh, the question then becomes how long-term is it? You know, we live in a society where we forget things pretty quick because of how fast things are flying by our eyes. And uh, is it one of those things where you get through a season and then all of a sudden the Cardinals are in a playoff run and the stadium fills back up because it's exciting. And then, oh, there's hand sanitizer at every station. If you need a clean table or a seat, uh, an usher will clean up the table for you or a seat for you. Um, yeah, so long term, I just think that you're going to see a lot of hand sanitizer all over the place, maybe some uh, some more cleaning regulations uh, in place. But other than that, my hope is that we don't see many long term uh, ramifications from some of the changes that might happen as a result of coronavirus in Major League Baseball. We're flying. For having a smaller crowd tonight, we're flying. Uh, JT Frisch, future seasons, not just DH. So, uh, talking about the rules changes in particular, the DH, yeah, the DH is going to be around. It's going to be around forever. It's funny, you know, right now how it would be, they would have a DH for 2020 and then no DH for 2021 and then more than likely a DH for the next collective bargaining agreement after the 2021 season. So we'll have like one year there where there isn't a DH. You might as well just have a DH at that point. Uh, but other than that, no, I, I think the DH pretty well keeps it standard. I don't think that if they go into the, the three conferences, if you will, where the central teams are playing the central teams, the Western teams are playing the Western and Eastern and Eastern, uh, I don't think that that's going to uh, uh, be the standard moving forward. I think the DH is probably the only real thing uh, from a rules change perspective that, uh, that has staying power. The, the strike zone thing is still going to be really interesting. Um, in regards to how quickly they adapt an automated strike zone. Uh, there's still a lot of kinks that they have to work out with that system, too. Uh, Power 198 says, your hair is sexy. That's hilarious. Uh, Quinn, is Goldschmidt healthy right now? Uh, yeah, everyone's healthy right now. Quinn, I'm healthy. You're healthy. Uh, yeah, I think everyone's healthy. I heard uh, John Mazelak on the radio saying that Miles Michaelis is healthy. Um, I think Jordan Hicks is working his way back to being healthy. Doesn't seem too far away there. Um, I think everybody who had a little nagging injury, aside from our one Tommy John uh, uh, recoverer, I think everyone's healthy and ready to go if a season were to be fired up here in a matter of weeks. A spring training for a season, that is, in a matter of weeks. Derek, there's no way there is a minor league season, right? Yeah, you know, it's probably not fair for me to to speculate. Uh, I will say that if you've tuned into Prospects After Dark for the last couple Prospects After Dark we've had over the last month, uh, you know that I've been pretty vocal about saying that my belief, whether informed or not, was that you'd end up having something down at spring training, kind of a dome where minor league players are playing on backfields. Uh, you know, what the amount of players, maybe 50, uh, maybe less than that, you know, it depends on the 20, the 26 man roster and a 30 or a 30 man roster and a 20 man practice squad or taxi squad. Uh, you might have another, you know, uh, 50 players down at spring training, working on the backfields, uh, working out at the team facility, you know, players are now back at team facilities now. Uh, I think that that's what's going to happen. But, you know, I think uh, earlier in the week when Pensacola, the double A, a double A affiliated affiliated team, when they opened their um, their stadium up 
for like nightly rentals for 1500 bucks where you and nine of your friends can sleep and, you know, take batting practice on the field. Uh, and they rented that out. They have dates open from June through the end of the season. I think that pretty well gave us an idea of exactly what we've been talking about here on Prospects After Dark, which is no minor league season. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't suspect that. And if there is, I think it would be something, uh, uh, you know, I mean this in a very pleasant way, but a bastardized version of the minor league season that we know. Uh, hello from New Zealand. Hello, Jamie, New Zealand. Welcome to Prospects After Dark. Hey, Sheldon Mysterio, what's up? Uh, hello, Graham. How are you, bud? Uh, I love you, bud. Graham, I'm going to raise my glass to you. Uh, I'm thinking about you, bud. I know you're going through a hard time. You're always going through a hard time. Uh, find what makes you happy. Live it, love it, uh, and masturbate to it. Josh says, if there's no baseball, should we bring Brad Miller back on a one-year deal? Yeah, I, uh, I'm with you, Josh. As Josh says, I say yes. I say yes as well, Josh. I, you know, I'd bring Weeders back. I'd bring uh, Brad Miller back. Um, yeah, I don't see why you wouldn't. If you felt comfortable bringing him for this season, you might as well bring him again. Yeah, you're talking about, what, $2 million? Bring him back. That's nothing. Now, I say that, but the economics of baseball are about to change a great deal. Uh, the Cardinals with Weeders, they have a catcher in waiting and Andrew Kisner. Uh, Jose Godoy could probably fill a backup role to Yachty uh, in a pinch, too, if they needed it. Um, you know, uh, and then, like, with, with um, Brad Miller, they kind of have some utility options as well. Edmundo Sosa, who proved himself really well in spring. Uh, but, yeah, I say bring him back. Load that roster. I think that it's imperative uh, for a team like the St. Louis Cardinals to have a championship run. Uh, I think it's imperative for them to have players like Brad Miller and Matt Wieters on the roster. Uh, Sean Sandifer says, if 2020 were a Game of Thrones character, who would it be? Um, well, if so far in 2020, it would be uh, uh, Ramsey Bolton, right? Uh, that's the only person. Uh, it's just torture after torture after torture. Um, you think that the person, you think that the year might not be that bad at certain times. You know, like when you first meet Ramsey Bolton, you think he's trying to... Uh, uh, to save um, uh, Alfie's, uh, uh, I see. I haven't watched Game of Thrones in forever. I'm forgetting fucking characters' names. Um, uh, you know, he's trying to save um, Theon Greyjoy. He's trying to save Theon Greyjoy, uh, and then all of a sudden he like turns on you. Uh, yeah, I think it's Ramsey Bolton. Josh says everyone is healthy, Kyle, during a global pandemic. Yeah, how how funny is that, Josh? That's how stupid I am. I think all of the Cardinals players are in a good. Uh, uh, physical state to be ready for a season if the season were to be played at the beginning of July. God, I'm such an asshole. Uh, I'm not healthy. I put on weight. I'm getting chunky. Sheldon Mysterio says, loss of a minor league season is a big blow. Yeah, imagine, you know, it's a big blow to the fans. Uh, it's a big blow to those communities, but imagine how big of a blow it is to the owners. Baseball America wrote a great article about something that we've been hearing a little bit about uh, behind the scenes for a while now, about how minor league teams are scrambling to get into ownership agreements uh, with major league teams and the hope that they'll be able to stick around through what will eventually be contraction. Uh, it's kind of a bummer, but it goes to show you the dire situation that minor league baseball is in. Chi-Town Card says, Carlson makes the team if the season starts right. Now, I would put Dylan Carlson on the team. Yeah, absolutely. But I'll remind everybody that even with the DH, uh, the Cardinals are still in an unusual position because they have one million outfielders on the 40-man, you have uh, Austin Dean, you have Justin Williams, you have Lane Thomas and Tyler O'Neill who need and deserve at-bats, uh, you know, and then you have Bader and Fowler and Tommy Edmond. Now, more than likely, Tommy Edmond will get some time at third uh, while Carpenter DHs, and he gets some time out in the outfield 
while Fowler DHs. Uh, but yeah, they still have a thousand outfielders that they need to find out about. And I think that, that would stop Dylan Carlson from being added. And remember, if you're a smart organization with a thousand and a half other outfield options, you're probably waiting a little bit to still bring Dylan Carlson uh, uh, up. Uh, I don't think it's jockeying his service time. I think that there's reason, again, with Lane Thomas in particular and Dylan uh, and Tyler O'Neill in particular, I understand why they would be hesitant. It's just like if all of a sudden Austin Dean is hitting 240 and playing left field every day, blow my fucking brains out. Uh, yeah, to Graham. Uh, hey, we're back, baby. Hey, Austin Stone, what's up? Welcome back to Prospects After Dark. Uh, Cameron Meisner says, hey, Cameron, what's up, bud? I'm not sure if this has been addressed yet, but who's your pick for the 2020 DH? Uh, for an entire year and a half, two, two years now, I've had the, the bottom line that the Cardinals lineup isn't good enough to commit one player to one position or one spot in the batting order. The batting order needs to be fluid. The players need to be fluid. You need to ride the hot hands. And that's how I feel about the DH. Look, I think it's smart to give Carpenter time at DH, uh, to give Fowler time at the DH. I think it's smart to give Yachty time at DH. And I know it sounds fucking crazy, but I think it's the only way that you can actually get him out of catching for a game. You might need to DH five games. Uh, I think Goldie gets time at the DH. I think you need to be smart, uh, and I think you need to give all of your older players rest, and I think you use the DH to do that. You know, Tommy Edmond, Brad Miller, uh, those guys allow you to be creative about who you DH. You could even DH Miller. You could DH Ron Robelo. Uh, what I want is the same thing I wanted before the DH was going to be a thing in the National League. I want the best bats playing, and I want the guys who are producing hitting more than the guys who aren't. And think about how generic uh, and somehow yet bold of a statement that is. Uh, that's the only way that the Cardinals are going to have continued success. They don't have a show-stopping talent. They, they're not the, the MV3. You know, they're not even the 2011 lineup, even if all of those guys are playing to their potential. So what I want to see is I want to see them using the bats, and I want to see them using the DH to get the veterans rest, uh, where they otherwise might not get rest, because Mike Schilt's going to do whatever the veterans want him to do. Uh, Quinn says, continue signing Wayno to one-year deals until he's 60, in my opinion. I agree. Look, if Wayno wants to play, bring him back. Uh, bring Brad Miller back. Like, though, again, those veterans are so important to championship teams. You know, the Nationals had a great roster from top to bottom. But Howie Kendricks is part of the reason why they were able to go on that run, a large part of that reason. You know, not to say Brad Miller is as good as Howie Kendricks. I mean, I guess you could make that debate. I don't really know. I'm not going to get into that. But those veteran presence, those guys who might not ever have been to a World Series or have been to one World Series or who have never won or who have lost, like, they're the guys who help drive you, continue to help drive you to championships. So, yes, uh, bring Adam Wainwright back. Look, uh, I'm, I'm in the mind frame now that if Adam Wainwright wants to play until he's 900 years old, you let him play. Uh, uh, I also say you retire 50. I, I know I'm in the minority there, but I would retire 50 and 4, uh, and I'd move on with my life. Hey, friggin' cards! The freaking cards. I raise my glass. It's beautiful. Birds on the Black mug uh, uh, that uh, you can buy over at Birds on the Black. Uh, it's, I got the 16-ouncer. It's perfect. Uh, and it benefits uh, more than baseball or more than more than the majors or more than the minors or whatever the nonprofit is that I'm butchering and completely ruining and a chance to support something good. Just go to Birds on the Black and enjoy the thing there. Uh, but I love you, freaking cards. Welcome to Prospects After Dark. BR Shuff says, Iowa in the house. What have I missed? BR Shuff. All you've missed is one bald-headed, weird-looking, bearded jack-off 
uh, talking for what is now about 40 minutes about basically nothing. Baseball to a degree, uh, talking into circles, covering topics without actually covering topics. So it's just your normal, average, run-of-the-mill prospects after dark that you've missed. The good news is if you come in and you have a question or you have a thought, go ahead and throw it on in. And uh, we'll make it happen as if we never talked about it earlier, because honestly, this is more of a fever dream for me, and I don't remember anything that we talked about up until now. Uh, Josh says, I completely forgot about Austin Dean. So did most people, and hopefully the Cardinals front office does too. Hey, Eric Thomas, welcome to Prospects After Dark, uh, our Oregon branch of Prospects After Dark. Eric, I love you, bud. I hope you and your family are doing well. Uh, thinking about you guys. Little Maddie A says, it will be DH by committee for sure. Yeah, and I think that makes a lot of sense, right? You know, it's not like a... I don't know, like, maybe Tyler O'Neill gets those at-bats. I, I, I want the best hitters to hit, and that's what matters to me. Eric Thomas says, I get, I get here in Kyle's waxing poetic about fluid. Uh, look, there's one thing I love. It's fluids, baby doll. Uh, Josh says, Goldie Carlson to Young MV3, baby. That would be amazing. Uh, I would love that, and that would be amazing for the St. Louis Cardinals. Maybe next year? <laughs> all of a sudden, we're all Cubs fans. Uh, BR Shuff says, did anyone see Gould's column a few weeks ago on batting the pitcher seven thoughts? Look, I think, uh, I don't have any thoughts. Unfortunately, I didn't read Mr. Gould's article about it, so I don't know his frame of reference or thinking behind it. I think that sometimes we overthink lineup construction and just like my first thought in all this is batting the pitcher seven seems like somebody trying to be a little too smart for their own good. And I'm sure there's statistical uh, success to back that up or a statistical line of thinking, uh, I just don't care. Again, it's, I'm a forward thinker. I enjoy a good progressive movement as much as the next human being. Uh, but sometimes uh, progressive movements for the sake of progressive movements uh, negate the importance of progress. And that's what that feels like to me. Uh, let's see. Zimmerman had a huge home run in the playoffs a couple of years ago. Again, you know, you want the most talented players on your roster. But if you can fill out your bench uh, with some veterans – uh, then, then I think that that, especially if you have a talented nucleus, I think that that really helps uh, your your ascent to a championship. Think about the 2011 team. Like, sure, they had, think about who was on the bench who came in in game six. Uh, you know, you had John Jay and Alan Craig and Daniel Descalso were three of the guys who came in. So three, you know, relatively young players. But who did they replace? Ryan Terrio, Raphael Fercal, like, uh, you know, Matt Holiday. Now, Matt Holiday doesn't count. That's a whole different thing, of course. But, like, when you have those interchangeable parts at both the, 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 the beginning of their career and potentially the end of their career, it serves you well for a run. Uh, Graham says, what's up with Victor Garcia? You know, Graham, I'd love to know what Victor Garcia is doing right now. And I'm going to put in some feelers and some questions, and, and I'm going to hope to find out for you, bud. Hopefully, he's keeping himself in a baseball shape, and hopefully the elimination of what will eventually be Johnson City – and probably State College, although I can see State College being reassigned to another organization, um, uh, doesn't uh, doesn't end his career, his major league chances. Austin Stone, what's the best scent for a car air freshener, Kyle? Uh, blood would be the best scent for a car air freshener. Uh, it comes in red and it drips. Uh, no, I, so I'm not, uh, I'm not one. I, I try to chew enough mints that my car smells like mints. No, uh, kidding aside... I like the one that's like Ocean Breeze, but one of them is like a combination of Ocean Breeze and linen, and it basically just smells like clean air, and that's what I like. Look, I don't like overpowering scents in my car. Like, I don't like leather. I don't like new car smell. I don't like cherry. I don't like any of that stuff. I want it to smell like clean, fresh air. 
uh, call me controversial. So find one that smells like air. Hey, Heckroth, between SC's Carmen Majinski, UGA's Cole Wilcox, which one would you choose? Now, I think uh, this is a pretty a pretty um, conventional comparison or, or pick pick one between high upside and maybe dealing with what you have. You know, when you look at Carmen Majinski, and M-L-O-D-Z-I-N-S-K-I, that's Majinski. Uh, so physically, and even in the face, he kind of looks like Mike Leake. His stuff is nastier than Leake's. Um, before he had success in the Cape Cod over the summer, he had struggled mightily. Uh, uh, and then he had a great success in the Cape Cod, saw his velocity tick up, and then got beat around again uh, once the college season fired up before the college season was shut down. But Majinski, I like a lot. Um, I, I do like him a lot, but if I'm going to pick one of the two, give me Cole Wilcox. Uh, his tools are louder. He has trouble throwing strikes. Majinski throws more strikes. You know, I, I was telling, I forgot who I was telling because I've talked about so many of these guys so much in DMs and texts and emails. Majinski reminds me a bit of Dakota Hudson. Uh, there's questions about his ability to strike players out. Uh, there's question. He induces a lot of ground balls. Uh, probably doesn't command his stuff because of the movement on it. Uh, these are all things that we've talked about with Dakota Hudson. Uh, and that's the kind of range I like him in, the 30 to 35 range. Of course, the Cardinals don't have a pick in that. Cole Wilcox has a higher upside with nastier stuff. He's way more electric. Of course, he struggles with command. So I would take Cole Wilcox over Carmen Majinski. Uh, Chi-Town Cards, do you like the crop of late uh, late first-round shortstops? That would be uh, Alika Williams, Jordan Westberg, uh, uh, Casey Martin, and Nick Lofton. Look, I, I have mixed feelings about him. I like Westberg a lot. I drafted him in the Prospects Live draft with the 54th overall pick. He'll be drafted before then. And again, I don't think all four of those guys are late first rounders. Uh, I think Lofton sneaks in, and I think Westberg has a chance to sneak in. But I don't think Casey Martin does, and I don't think Alika Williams does. Uh, You're talking about maybe comp to the beginning of the second round guys there. Uh, Alika Williams, the shortstop at Arizona State, is a pure shortstop, and he's fun to watch play short. And there's a team out there who will be able to access his pop. I just don't know which team it is. You know, maybe a team like the the Dodgers feel like they can, and that would be the end of the first round, but maybe the Dodgers feel like they can change his swing uh, to optimize his amazing hand-eye coordination uh, uh, and tap into that athleticism for power. Uh, But look, Westberg is a big boy with a ton of potential and a ton of power. uh, And I mean, uh, like a real chance to be a difference maker in the middle of a lineup while playing a really good defense on the left side of the infield. You know, uh, Nick Lofton's kind of boring, uh, but there's power to be accessed in there from the Baylor shortstop that hasn't necessarily been accessed yet. I watched him smoke a ball at uh, uh, what I call the Pujols train tracks at Minute Maid Park. He hit a ball way over that. So he has that power. It's in there. It's just a matter of accessing it. You know, he's other than that, he's kind of boring. A lot of people think he's going to be a utility player. If he enters the Cardinals organization, he's going to be a shortstop, no doubt about it. Uh, I like him. Uh, of the four, the one that I like the least is Casey Martin. That guy chases breaking pitches. When he makes contact with the breaking pitch, it's a fucking miracle. Uh, but he has loud tools, especially surrounding speed and agility, and that gets a lot of people excited, but that's just not for me. Uh, that's a scouting That's scouting tools, not scouting the player. Uh, give me the player. And I like Lofton. I like Alika Williams better than I like Martin as well. So um, who do I like of the four? I'd go Westberg, Lofton, Williams, Martin for me. Heckroth, based on John Mayo's mock draft from MLB, uh, let's see, Eric Thomas, congratulations to Tom Hurd, John Tudor, and Bill White. Yeah, we did this a little earlier, but I'll raise my glass to them again. The Cardinals Hall of Fame entrance for the class of 2020 or 2021 or however they do it. To Ray Langford. 
Iowa next says, thoughts on teams playing four outfielders. Again, you know, it's, it's not for me, but I think that there is, uh, with the shift, I think that there is benefit to utilizing it. We've seen it. You know, if you can shift a fourth guy out there in, like, short and shallow right field against, like, Matt Carpenter, that works out pretty well. Uh, I wouldn't play four outfielders all the time. I think, I think the game would adjust and it wouldn't be interesting at all um, or good for the game at all. Uh, but, you know, maybe I'm in the minority. Uh, look, I'm, I'm for the shift as much as I hate it. Like, I, my, my view on the shift is if I was running an organization, I would do the shift every time. Uh, my view on the shift is that if I was a coach, I would shift like the Dickens. Uh, but as a fan, I hate it. Like, that's, that's how I feel. Uh, so I have conflicting emotional thoughts about the shift in the first place. Uh, but as far as like four outfielders all the time, that's just not for me. Josh says, Howie Kendrick is the most underrated hitter in major leagues. Would love uh, to have him DH in 2021. Yeah, I love it. Get creative. I- I'd like to have that bat uh, uh, as part of the Cardinals organization, no doubt. Who's your favorite AL player? You know, this is a weird one. Uh, Randy Arozarena is my favorite player in the American League. Luis Robert is my favorite player in the American League. Adley Rushman is my favorite player in the American League. All kidding aside, look, uh, to not root for Mike Trout is it's barbarism. Uh, and I, I don't know how anyone could not love Mike Trout or think of them as their favorite AL player. But look, uh, Randy's playing for Tampa, and it's going to be him uh, de facto. A Jag is playing for Texas. Probably him a little bit, too. But I love Luis Robert. I love Yon Moncada. I love Eloy Jimenez. I like the White Sox. I like Kopech. Um, uh, Tim Anderson, I like. There's a lot of great players in the American League. The American League's kind of a fun league, right? Uh, Sean Sandifer says, how fun is it, this L.A. Rams stadium stuff? Sorry to see getting off topic. Sean, we have no topic here on Prospects After Dark. The topic is whatever you guys want to talk about, uh, and I'm happy to talk about it. So how do I feel about it? It makes me laugh. Uh, you know, I don't want anyone to get hurt or harmed. Uh, but every time that there's another little bit of news about a setback or a fire or, uh, you know, uh, stadium funding needing an extra $300 million, yeah, it makes me laugh. It goes to show you how hypocritical uh, uh, and corrupt the NFL owners are. Uh, and uh, how, how much of a hypocrite they are and how uh, everything that we've been saying here in St. Louis about the, the janky-ass nature of that agreement uh, uh, and the move of the Rams to Los Angeles, uh, how, how janky it was, how we've been talking about it, it validates all of that stuff. Uh, Matty Ice, hey, Matty Ice, what's up, bud? Are you believing a lofton start to 2020? I'm not believing it. Look, I other than... Other than Bryce Jarvis, there aren't a lot of guys. Uh, 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 Jared Schuster, like Clay uh, Beater, uh, like there are a couple guys, but uh, I- I'm not believing any of the hitters start to the season, especially hitters. You know, a lot of those guys are playing against less than advanced uh, starting pitchers. I- I'm buying more into like the success that guys had playing for the USA collegiate team or uh, in the Cape Cod League or the New England League. So uh, I'm not buying into it that much. Although I will I say that, but then like, Zach Deloche or, uh, or Westberg, like I'm buying into that a little bit harder than I'm buying into Lofton's. And I don't know why. I guess the, I, the difference is that I've watched a lot of Westberg and Deloche early on in the year, and I just haven't watched as much of Lofton. Graham, has your fandom of Alex Bregman changed since sign stealing? Uh, my, my fandom of Alex Bregman hasn't changed because of the sign stealing, and I know that that's fucked up. Uh, my fandom of Alex Bregman has changed since that guy ended up being a huge douchebag. Uh, to hear the way that he talks to the press, uh, to create publicity stunts for himself by giving out cash uh, only for the purpose to get a camera on him. Uh, yeah, that shit pisses me off. I don't like that. I don't like the guy. I still think he's a 
tremendously talented player. I think even without the banging of trash cans, he'd end up being a top 10 MVP candidate. Uh, 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 but I don't like him at all. He's, he's proven to be a douchebag. Uh, Chi-Town Cards. Any thoughts on Hayden Cantrell out of Louisiana Lafayette? I see a valuable utility guy. Uh, Cantrell is one of the guys that I really like. And I'll tell you what, he's a team leader, and he, he does it the right way. Uh, Cardinal fans would love him for that does it the right way, which is a very generic term. And purposefully generic by me on this part, because I really didn't know what else to say. And I apologize for that. Let me launch into Cantrell a little bit. Uh, I think that he'll stay at short. I think he has above average speed. I think that there's above average pop. I think that he has a really great swing. I think the fact that he's a switch hitter benefits the St. Louis Cardinals and what they're looking for. It just depends on what round he goes in. You know, I've seen, I've seen, I've seen mocks that have him going in like the second or third round. That might be a little too early. Like, you know, 93rd overall might not be a bad spot for him, but 123 makes a lot more sense for me. I like Xavier Warren a lot for this very reason. I think that they're utility players that offer immense value. Uh, Cantrell was starting to tap into his power a little bit. You know, the other thing about Louisiana Lafayette is the Cardinals have connections to Louisiana Lafayette. You know, uh, Todd Lott went to Louisiana Lafayette. Um, uh, uh, Stefan Trosclair went to Louisiana Lafayette. Uh, I like Cantrell a lot. Uh, and again, I maybe a third-round pick might be a little aggressive, depending on what the board looks like. But that fourth-round pick, if he's there at 123, I love it. Uh, there are a lot of guys I like in that third, fourth round. BR Shuff says, has Randy Rosarena put any interesting uh, quarantine content on his Instagram story? You know, I don't Instagram. I don't have Instagram. I wouldn't know how to Instagram. So I'm not going to be able to help you out there. But uh, hopefully he has for the people who follow him. Uh, uh, holy fuck, that's my bro. My brother Scott's who bought me dinner tonight and got me a little tipsy on various seltzers and wines. Uh, and I raised my glass of bourbon, too. Uh, it says that uh, Rosarena... Uh, uh, Blah, blah, blah. Uh, translates to rice, sand, in English. Very good, Scott. Love that Bryce Jarvis from Chi-Town Cards. Yeah, I love Bryce Jarvis, too. Uh, to watch... No, I went back and watched some of his, his film from 2019. And to watch how he's transformed. And that's not just about production. You know, he threw a perfect game against a really bad team. Uh, but to watch the pitcher that he's transformed into. How explosive his mechanics are. How explosive the ball is out of his hands. How much better... Uh, his stuff is, the slider in particular, but also the changeup is, and how much more lively the fastball is. Like, 21 is a reach for Bryce Jarvis, but depending on what's on the board, I, I would honestly think about Jarvis at 21. And I know I'm in the minority. I know that that's probably crazy. He's probably best suited for 25 through 40, uh, if not maybe even a little bit later than that, depending on if you're buying into his early success. But I love Bryce Jarvis. Uh, Eric Thomas, have we discussed Korean baseball? Only in that, I've watched a little bit of it. I love that it's on. Uh, I love the way they're handling it. I thought that the we, – now, we didn't talk about any of this. I love, the, like, their setup. You know, if somebody tests positive, then they shut down for three weeks. I love that they're starting to let people in. Uh, before they let people in and even now with people in, I love the cardboard people in the stands. I love how much fun they have. Uh, I love some of the showmanship of it. Uh, and as someone who's, like, constantly analyzing the game – uh, all the time, it's been fun to just sit back and watch it at six, six o'clock in the morning in my car uh, while I wait to go into the building at work. Graham says, "Love you, Kyle. I'm gonna go. Love you too, Graham. Welcome back to Prospects After Dark, bud." Uh, let's see. Humor me from Matty Ice. What are the odds that Bailey is actually still there for the Cardinals at 21? So uh, I think that the odds are probably less than 25 percent. But it's really interesting, you know, uh, uh, with the amount of intriguing catchers in this draft, 
I wouldn't be surprised if some teams might like some of the other catchers later as compared to Patrick Bailey earlier. And I do think that that hurts his value. You know, uh, if you're the type of person who thinks that Tyler Soderstrom can stick at catcher, then I think that there's an argument to be made that even though he's a prep catcher, that Soderstrom's bat it profiles substantially better than Bailey's. You know, if, if you're the type of person who thinks that, well, Drew Romo is a switch hitting version, is just like Patrick Bailey, is the prep version of Patrick Bailey, uh, we'll just wait to get him and develop him our own way. Then you might wait on Patrick, you might pass on Patrick Bailey and try to get Drew Romo with your second pick, whether it be a count pick or early second round. Uh, you know, there are people who like Emshoff. There's people that like Susak. There's people that like Parada. Um, you know, for me, I wouldn't pass on Patrick Bailey for anyone other than Tyler Soderstrom from the catcher ranks. And if I'm drafting Tyler Soderstrom, I'm not drafting him because I think he's a catcher. I'm drafting him because I think he can play third base consistently. Uh, so it, what are the chances he falls at 21? I don't think they're very good. I think that, you know, there are a lot of teams ahead of the Cardinals that would do well to draft Patrick Bailey. Uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks, who would probably go prep, I think, depending on who's there. Um, I, I would suggest that even though they have a thousand catchers, they draft another one. That doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility to me. Uh, you can never have enough catchers in your system. You know, the best part, like the Cardinals, right? They have Yachty and they have Kisner and they have Ivan Herrera and they have uh, uh, Julio Rodriguez. And those are four relatively one, one high end professional catcher and then three prospect catchers. And there's a chance that other than Yachty, none of them turn out. And it's because the catching position is so volatile. It's the hardest position in all professional sports. Uh, and you can just never have enough of them. You can never have enough of them. Uh, and, and I appreciate the Diamondbacks for following through with that philosophy. And I think teams would be smart to do it uh, because of how volatile that position is. Victoria, not sure if it was asked, but how many picks did the Cardinals have in the draft? They had the Cardinals, unless I'm doing the math, the back end wrong, draft uh, 21st, 54th, 63rd, 70th. 93rd, 123, and 153. So seven picks in the draft. Uh, one, two, three, four of them will be on day one, and one, two, three of them will be on day two. Sean Sandeffer says, well, with a shortened draft, what happens to the talent? Just wait till next year, get passed over. Sean Sandeffer, that's one of the things that we are all waiting to find out. Uh, you know, I would suggest that there, there's been some talk that some of the high-end high school draftees uh, end up getting passed over. I don't think the high-end do. I think that you're talking about guys like uh, Mackenzie Wainwright, potentially Harold Cole, uh, guys that are more projectability over uh, uh, current tools. They're the ones who probably suffer most from the shortened draft, and that sucks, especially someone like Harold Cole and Mackenzie Wainwright, who have supreme tools and talents. Um, more than likely, you know, they go to, uh, like, uh, Harold Cole's UNC and uh, I don't remember where Mackenzie Wainwright's going. Now, some of those guys who don't get drafted might end up going the JUCO route. Uh, there's a, a, a pitcher, last name Phillips, who uh, was drafted last year, didn't get the bonus he won, had a commitment to LSU, passed over the commitment to LSU and pitched the JUCO route. And now he's probably going to be a top three rounds pick. Uh, ticked up his fastball, got more command of his curveball, showed more bite on his curve. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if that's what we see. So I, I don't think I don't think we know yet exactly what's going to happen in this draft. And I personally don't think there's any way to predict it. Uh, I would imagine that it's all going to come down to signability. Uh, if players are willing to sign for whatever teams are willing to give them, then I don't see talent being passed over. But 
you know, if there's one thing this time has taught us, especially in regards to the owner's agreement with minor league baseball and owner's agreements with the players, uh, the owners are looking for cost certainty. And they're not going to draft somebody unless they know that that person's going to take the money that they want. Uh, and there's not going to be much screwing around. It's not going to be, hey, will you take this? And then some hem-hawing. They're going to go on to the next guy. Uh, and that's really interesting. So we're just going to have to wait and see what happens there. Uh, I'm sure that some talent will be passed over, uh, which presents some interesting, you know, uh, bonus jockeying from teams in order to get players into their organization. Uh, but it's, look, with this being a one-off, there's no telling what we are in store for. Uh, but I do think it's fair to say that maybe some talent gets passed over. Some talent, the high school ranks goes the JUCO route, so they can be in next year's 20-round draft. Uh, uh, and then we'll see. What what intrigues me the most, because I don't think, I don't think, especially in the first, you know, 120 picks, 125 picks or whatever, that there's going to be much jockeying. That fifth round is really interesting to me. What ends up happening with the fourth round is really interesting to me, too. Um, depending on who gets passed over. So let me, let me, let me lay out a scenario. A bunch of high school kids get passed over in, in the first two rounds. And it's obvious that they're not going to get drafted in rounds three and four. There's a scenario where you take guys who you know you can get at a reduced price with the hope that you can draft one of those kids in the fifth round, one of those high school kids in the fifth round and over bonus, overload their bonus, and get them in the fifth round at first or second round talent. There's a chance that that happens. Maybe you can do that with JT Jin or Gan rather. Uh, probably not, but you just never know. Maybe Cole Wilcox falls as a draft-eligible sophomore. Cole Henry uh, falls as a draft-eligible sophomore. And then all of a sudden you can put a little money into them late in the fifth round. Um, that's where it gets really interesting. But I really don't know. I'm anxious to find out. And I think that there's going to be a couple teams that try to outsmart the draft. And I think there might be a team or two that ends up outsmarting this particular draft. B. Shuff says, what are your thoughts on the players owner's current spat? Uh, we talked about it on the Two Birds on a Bat podcast that we do nearly every Wednesday. Uh, you're going to want to check that out, bow ties and bullshit. I think that uh, two weeks ago when I talked to Jim Cromer about that, we knew that we were going to be hitting some rough times over the last week and, I, you know, over a two-week time span. Uh, but it looks like this coming week uh, gives a little bit of clearing. It, 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 you know, the forest clears out a little bit, and we're going to see maybe something that resembles an agreement or at least the framework of an agreement. You know, my thought is both sides are at fault for this, but I, I will always fault billionaires over millionaires. That's just how I am, and that's pathetic and it's sad. And I should have more uh, advanced thoughts and more thought-out opinions than that. But I, I'll, I'll always side with the workers over the owners uh, because I'm a worker and I'm not an owner. Be shruff. To me, the owners need to suck it up. They risk Their risk is all business. Yeah, and they need to stop. Look, as make no mistake that the owners are not willing to open up their books. They're only willing to open up their books to what they want the players to see. That's been one of the things in every collective bargaining agreement over all the sports. You know, uh, owners being stingy with what they define as a uh, as, um, – Revenue and also players trying to get their hands on uh, the books that show the revenue coming in. Uh, uh, owners, owners are they're baking the numbers to make it look like uh, uh, they're in worse situation than they are. They're not fooling anyone. Uh, they're definitely, uh, for some people, they're definitely helping to ruin uh, the court of public opinion for the players. Uh, the perception of the players as good guys in this or not bad guys, if you want to go in that direction. Uh, but the, the owners are thrifty at what they do, and they're all about making money. And they can say that they're going to lose X amount of money, and I'm not going to believe it until they open up every one of their books and show it. Uh, Noah said, hey, what's up, Noah? How are you? Matty Ice, what does Junior Fernandez fit in 2020? Well, again, if you're talking about an expanded roster, he's definitely in the bullpen. No doubt about it. I would have put him in the bullpen even without expanded rosters, but that's just me. Uh, if he's healthy and he's pitching well and he's in good shape, 
then I I view him as another very important piece in a bullpen uh, uh, in a bullpen role with that high velocity fastball and a curve a curve a slider changeup combo that is pretty advanced, especially for a reliever. So that's where I think Junior Fernandez fits in in 2020. Do you like Mason Wynn more on the mound or as a shortstop? My problem with Mason Wynn as a pitcher. Uh, is just that he's so small. He's like 5'11", although I'm willing to bet every cent that I have that he's below that. And he's an explosive pitcher, but I think there's some violence in his delivery. I need water. Hold on. (coughs) But the truth about, like, my thoughts about Mason Wynn are that, like, I view him pretty much on, like, I don't view him better as a pitcher. I don't view him better as a, a fielder. As an 18-year-old kid, I just view him as a work in progress, a supreme athlete who, when you watch him pitch, he does. Again, I have my concerns about his motion and his size and all that. But he's he's a dominant pitcher. Like, there's dominance built into that small frame. You know, more than likely, he's, you know, a, a relief pitcher long-term, which kind of hurts his draft stock, uh, which would make you want to draft him as a shortstop or at least as a utility-type infielder because if we're hedging our bets – more than likely, that's what he ends up being. Uh, but, you know, you're not drafting him as a pitcher. You're not drafting him as a shortstop. You're drafting him as an athlete. And you're letting those athletic skills uh, boil over and tell you where to put him. But you keep him as a two-way player in this day and age in baseball nowadays for as long as possible. Uh, we won't have minors this season, are we? You know, uh, Noah, I've got, you know, I can't say that I know for sure. Uh, but I would suggest, you know, as we enter the month of June, we're just a, a week away from the month of June, um, that no, no, there isn't going to be minor league baseball. And if they do, I can't imagine under what capacity. Uh, which brings me to my next point. And it's not something that they'll do. But I would kill to see some version of, like, televised backfield minor league if, you know, what I said earlier ends up coming to fruition. And if you're new to Prospects After Dark, what I said earlier is that uh, – you know, there's been a lot of speculation that what ends up happening is that the minor leaguers go to the backfields in Florida. They live underneath like a dome kind of situation where they're tested and blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Not all of them, but some of them, you know, between, you know, 50 and 100 players or maybe even 100 players go down there and they play on the backfields. Like, I want to be able to watch those games. I want to be able to watch them on MILB TV. Uh, and I can't imagine it being more than just two cameras to make it happen. And hopefully we get something like that. But of course we won't because Major League Baseball isn't forward thinking it's reactionary. Uh, let's see. All right. So we're, we are almost at the end of prospects after dark. It's a short prospects after dark for Memorial day weekend. Uh, I'm going to raise my glass to all of the pad people who decided to join on a, on a glorious Sunday night, uh, to all of the veterans. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your lives to protect the interest of the United States of America. Uh, uh, also, uh, uh, you know, for cooking or doing whatever the hell you did. Um, and also to the pad people who are here, who are wonderful, uh, and who make Prospects After Dark on a Sunday or a Friday or whatever night worth doing. So to all of the pad people, all of our veterans, I raise a glass. Does anybody else have any more draft questions? I want to talk about the draft. Uh, yeah, that might be it. So it doesn't really look like we're, it looks like we're all out of questions on a, on a quiet Sunday night here at Prospects After Dark. Um, uh, let's see, I'm trying to think of what else I wanted to go over. Uh, I guess the one thing is keep an eye on Prospects Lives and the work, the work that they're doing. That's really interesting. That's really awesome stuff. Uh, on Tuesday, they're going to release their top 100 draft prospects. I'm really excited about that. Uh, no one does it better than Prospects Live. Um, we're less than two weeks away from the Major League Baseball draft. That's exciting. I'm pretty geared up for that. 
Uh, my hope is that I can do some type of podcast to prepare you for the draft. Uh, we'll see where that goes. I really don't have a whole lot of time. I've been working throughout all of this. Um, unfortunately, man, if there's a person who could have done some good work with quarantine time, it would have been me. But, of course, I got shafted out of all that. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, keep an eye on all that. Uh, check out Chirps with Alex and Tara. They do amazing work. Uh, Nerds on the Black with Zach, who I love nerds whenever that's on. It's so much fun. Zach, Zach might not have the most, like, charisma but that doesn't mean he doesn't have charisma it's a weird balance that he has uh that makes him really unique and fun to listen to because he is he's charismatic but in like a very dry way that i don't think people appreciate anyways birds is great uh everything that ben saruti's been doing is great and uh that's a whole amazing and great group there uh let's see uh victoria says out of questions already impossible yeah we've had a small a small group tonight uh cardinals gifts is on assignment uh uh, uh off the grid so no cardinals gifts tonight too and i'm sure that that Chipped into us having a smaller crowd. Matty Ice, what's one thing you see nationally that is troublesome or frustrating from draft evaluators? Yeah, I think anytime that, look, and this isn't just draft evaluators, this is people who write about prospects. I think anytime that you're comparing uh, kids who have not played uh, professional baseball to professional baseball players, uh, I think it's dangerous. And I hate that. I don't like that at all. Um, But other than that, like, look, baseball is an inflammatory sport uh, that's tough to gauge and tough to analyze uh everything is always changing constantly whether it be the players or the environment uh people are tinkering and tailoring and soldiering and spying uh and it's not an easy sport to feel for or adjust to so uh, you know for me like teach their own but the thing that i hate the most and the thing i've always hated is just when you know you get things like i'm comparing harrison vader to matt carpenter or to matt kemp you know the year after matt kemp won the mvp like, shit like that is really what gets underneath my skin. I, I don't like that, and I think that's troublesome because what those evaluators forget is that there are casual fans who aren't as dialed in to what's going on that are just looking for comparisons. That's it. Uh, and and I, I don't think it's good for the fan base on an, edu- an educational uh, stand from an, a- from an educational standpoint to get those, like, overly aggressive comparisons. You know, I, I, I also think that sometimes, like, the 20 to 80 scale – uh, for fans is dangerous because we all view like there's a way to measure, you know, the, everything on the 2080 scale uh, of scouting has a measurement attached to it. But I think that each organization and each scout views it differently and what each things mean, even with the measurables. And I think to, to constantly be going to, Oh, he's a 50 runner. Well, the runner is the one thing. I think the runner is like the one thing that you can go to, but uh, he's an 80 hitter or he's a 60 hitter with an 80 uh, raw or powers of 50 with a 70 raw or powers of 30 with a 70 raw. Like, I don't think that means anything to people. And I think they go to it and give them the wrong idea. You know, I think not fleshing out, uh, uh, not uh, giving a full description of exactly what you mean by what you're saying is dangerous. Uh, you know, because it's not informing anyone. It's giving them the cliff notes without telling them what book they're reading. Sean Sandifer says, something I think about is how Yachty feels about shepherding the next catcher. Yeah. Uh, um, Yachty, look, Yachty's not going to be happy about shepherding the quote-unquote next catcher. That's not for him. You know, uh, maybe he finds a Puerto Rican catcher that he can get behind or a Hispanic catcher that he can get behind because it's not going to – I mean, that's what's most likely going to happen. Um, but, no, look, he's not 
in the business of training somebody to take his spot. That's not going to happen. That's not him. That's not who he is. He's too competitive for that. He'll play every day until he can't play anymore, and he's not interested in having anyone else play. Like, this isn't a Mike Matheny, Yadier Molina situation. This is a Yadier Molina, Yadier Molina situation. Uh, so who's your kids comp? I like what you did there, uh, uh, Matty Ice. All right, so for everybody at Prospects After Dark, I raise my glass for Tara Wellman and Alex Crisopoli, who do the amazing chirps. Tara, who is on the scene for Minor League News and Notes. Zach, who does Nerds on the Black. It's a podcast on Periscope. Happens on Tuesdays. You need to check it out. Ben Rudy, who is still writing and writing amazing articles. Check him out. He's wonderful. Stu Stiles, who does the game recaps when it's game recapping time. Enchil, who does uh, amazing gifts, but is just one tier below the amazing Cardinals gifts. Uh, my brother-in-arms, who isn't here on a Sunday night. He's uh, off the grid uh, on assignment. Uh, to all of my Birds on the Black family, I raise my glass. I love all of you. That was a hell of a shot. All right. So I'm sorry for the abbreviated prospects after dark. I'm sorry we didn't draw much of a crowd tonight. Uh, hopefully when we get some baseball news or some baseball talk, we'll bring it. I'll remind everybody that uh, uh, the draft episode of Prospects After Dark will go live on draft night. We'll be dissecting all of the Cardinals picks, probably on both the 10th and the 11th, and I'm really excited about it. Uh, there's a good chance it's the last Prospects After Dark we ever do uh, uh, as I make my exit. Uh, and uh, it's going to be a really great time. So I hope everyone is there. Uh, I love all of you. If you're listening to this, you're part of the resistance. Uh, and as everybody um, as everybody knows, uh, happy hunting. Hello, Loch Ness. How are you? Uh, as I say goodbye to everyone.